Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everyone. This is Richard. Wink has been in the news again, and not for the right reasons. Suffering yet another outage, Wink customers may be wondering what's next for them. In this episode of The Smart Home Show, Adam and I recount the background and history of Wink up to these most recent problems. And if you're a Wink customer who wants to explore your alternative options, we also discuss what your best next move might be. Better to be thinking about that now than if or when the plug gets pulled for you. We think this will be a useful guide for many. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense, and welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. And today we're going to be talking about life after Wink. We're going to take a look at Wink's history, talk about options for those looking for an alternative control solution and an automation solution. Hey Richard, how are you? I am doing well, and I'm glad we have an opportunity to talk about this, what I think is pretty timely topic. So I'm looking forward to getting into this, and this kind of scratches two itches, right? It it gives us an opportunity to talk a little bit about what's happening with this company in the space right now, but it also helps us answer a question that we get pretty frequently, which is, if you were to do over, where would you start? And, And I think that's an interesting perspective, and maybe for some soon, a forced perspective that they'll have. Yeah, for sure. But before we get started doing that, as always, we're going to open with a question. So my question for Adam this time is, Adam, I know that you're a podcast listener, as am I. What are your top three podcast picks? Okay, I have to cheat a little bit. Uh, I I had a hard time with this. so I, I I picked four, but my my t- my top four in no particular order, mainly because these are like my must listen to kind of top ones that I I listen to immediately. So the first one is uh, ATP or the Accidental Tech Podcast. Uh, this is primarily an Apple focused podcast um, that uh, started out. the The reason for the name is it started out as a car podcast. Um, and the car podcast kept turning into tech discussion. And so it accidentally became a, a tech podcast. So, um, that's a good one. Um, uh, Marco Arment, Casey Liss and John Syracuse are the hosts there, uh, weekly show. And yeah, that's a must listen to. I'm, I'm already about halfway through this week's episode. Um, so yeah, that's one's always top of my list. Um, the, Next one is a show called Cortex, um, which is uh, CGP Gray and uh, Mike uh, from Relay FM. And 
it's hard to describe what Cortex is other than it's kind of a productivity, uh, productivity show, work life, uh, things like that. So, um, it's been a good one for me. Um, and I enjoy some of their discussions and get a lot from that. Um, so that's a, a good one. Uh, I didn't want to just pick tech podcasts. So this was part of the reason why I ended up with four. Okay. Um, the other one I, and technically it's kind of five because this next one is two shows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I enjoy both of Brene Brown's podcasts, uh, Unlocking Us and Dare to Lead. Um, Unlocking Us is more of a, like a self-help and kind of social uh, one and dare to lead is more focused on business and leadership. Um, but her stuff is, that was new last year and, uh, it's phenomenal. It's a, one of those stupid Spotify originals now, which really pissed me off. Mm. Um, but DM me on, uh, on, uh, Twitter and, uh, I'll tell you how to work around that. Cause I found a solution. So, hmm. Hmm. yeah, it's a little secret there. Um, and then the last one is probably one of my favorite, favorite new ones and um it's called dithering fm um it's from john gruber from daring fireball and ben thompson from stratechery um if you've ever followed john gruber or tried to listen to his the talk show it is like the longest podcast in the history of podcasts it's like he has some episodes that are like two plus hours Ugh. um they're you know, some th over three hours, like very long winded. So I could never commit my, I, I love John and I love his content, but I could never commit myself to <laughs> being a regular listener of the talk show. Right. So what's awesome about dithering is it is 15 minute episodes three times a week. So it comes out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's always very, um, relevant newsworthy. So it gets, it's all focused around tech mostly, but it gets into politics and, you know, stuff going on with tech. So, and that 15 minute format is just a nice bite sized. Um, so it's one that I always listen to on that morning when it comes out. Nice. Nice. Yeah. How about you? Well, what are your top three ish? <laughs> and I will do that since you took the liberty. I don't listen to any of these. I've never even heard of any of these, which I think is amusing. So my top favorite podcast is a daily show. It is a news show about Apple news called Mac OS Ken. And it is hosted by Ken Ray who just celebrated 15 years of delivering a daily news show about Apple and Mac News. Bonkers. Which is kind of amazing, just in and of itself. Yeah. So I, I love that every day. It is about 10 to 15 minutes long. He covers market news. He covers uh, industry and supply chain news. He covers product and speculation a little bit. And he has just the right amount of sarcastic humor and pop culture and literature references to just get me to laugh at something every single day. And I just absolutely love that. My second pick has become a daily show. It was originally a weekly show from Marketplace, 
with Molly Wood and Kai Rizdahl called Make Me Smart. Kai is a newscaster who does market-based news. And, of course, Molly is a tech journalist. And together, they talk about what's going on in the news space, oftentimes with a market and tech slant. But the whole point of the show is to talk topic, talk about topics and inform you about things that you probably didn't know about. They go in deep about monetary policy and debt ratios and all of these things that you probably hear all the time on the news but don't know what they mean. And they have incredible guests on who are experts in these fields to talk about this stuff. Once a week, it's about 45 minutes long. They dive in deep on a topic. And every other weekday, it is approximately 15 minutes long. And they just tap on whatever the news stories of the day are. And then some points to kind of make you feel good about everything, just in case the news was dragging you down. Hmm. Okay. Sounds interesting. I'm tied for my third favorite, so that's why I also will list four. My favorite weekly for the for a very long time has been 99% Invisible from Roman Mars and Radiotopia, the network that he and others built around that show. He came from radio. He has the voice. Like, I could just go to sleep listening to his voice. Sometimes it's hard not to because he's just hypnotic and he and his editors and producers go around and just talk about all these things in your environment that you probably don't even notice it's these one percent things they did an entire episode on road markings like the lines that divide lanes on a road and how they came about and why they're the color they are and how long they're just stuff that you probably never thought how much goes into all these things you take for granted. Okay. So fascinating stuff. You probably sense a theme there. Everything there is I'm learning something. And that's kind of what I try to do with the podcasts that I listen to. And so the, the tie for that and also a weekly in the learning theme is Grammar Girl. I have learned so much from Grammar Girl about just like these minuscule things that that I used to get wrong all the time and many people get wrong all the time. And as someone who speaks a lot and writes a lot and oftentimes edits other people's work, I can't tell you how much what I've learned from listening to her every week has done to improve my abilities as an editor. Cool. I know my wife would like that one. My wife is a total grammar nerd and and uh, writes professionally. So, uh, and I know she follows uh, Grammar Girl on various things, but I don't even know if she knew that there's a a podcast for it. Yeah, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's like twenty minutes long, once a week. Very good. Okay, sounds great. Well, if you want to submit a question for us to open the show. Um, you can do so on Twitter using the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. All right. So let's talk about the saga of Wink. 
Uh, as Richard said in the opening, you know, I think um, before we can talk about kind of where we got to today, let's let's go back a little bit and talk about some of the history of uh, how we got there and and how Wink came about. Yeah, that that'll be fun because I I suspect a lot of people listening know where we are today, but we'll get there. Yeah. So you may or may not know this, but Wink originally came out of a crowdsourced hardware incubator called Quirky. Uh, Quirky was a kind of a cool, interesting company, but, um, you know, ultimately kind of moved on from things, including from Wink. So um, they launched the Wink Hub in 2014 uh, at Home Depot with a handful of connected smart home products, uh, including the most memeable of the products, which was the egg minder, which was a solution in in search of a problem, which was this goofy device that, you know, counts your eggs or tells you when you're running low on eggs. I don't know. It was real dumb. Only I had a way of knowing how many eggs I had and how old they are. If only. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, this is just one of those that like, you know, it's just cheaper to buy more eggs. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're really worried about it, maybe just get one of those clear plastic egg racks to put your eggs in, in the refrigerator. And then you can just see. I, I don't know. It, it's, yeah. It, they had a lot of products like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was called Quirky for a reason. It was. It was. Um, so, yeah, they, they partnered with GE to release connected light bulbs and air conditioner um, you know, Quirky also did all kinds of other things. Um, you know, desk gadgets, they sold stuff at Staples. Um, and then, you know, that GE partnership kind of became a, a thing and they started doing these Quirky plus GE products. So sensors, a garage door switch, controller, a bunch more. Yeah, except but a lot of those never came out. Right. Except that they didn't release most of them. I think you know, it's funny, I wrote about this announcement when it came out, and two things struck me about this. One was that I felt like we had just, just gotten to the point where we finally understood the difference between Quirky and Wink, and where the line was drawn, and who was partnered with who, and what GE was doing with Wink, and then they released this announcement that, oh, here are all these new Quirky Plus GE branded products. Like, that was literally the brand. Quirky Plus sign GE symbol was the brand for these new products. And they had a whole gamut, like eight or nine different things. Ultimately, I think they released two of them. Yeah. Yeah, so then they spun Wink out as a separate company, um, which eventually went bankrupt. And well, no, Quirky and went. Quirky went bankrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think you know one of these. I, I recently heard a discussion that was talking about kind of VC funding and some of these things, and I I kind of wonder if Quirky is sort of one of these too that where. You know, the whole the whole aspect of VC is grow big fast and then exit for a bunch of money. And given that pressure, like 
you know, Quirky probably could have had a nice little business with Wink in the middle and, you know, all this stuff had they have been able to just kind of grow it at their own pace and, you know, do that. But with the pressures of, you know, grow big, sell off those things, you know, you either, you either, yeah, you know, go to the moon or you burn out on the launch pad kind of thing. And this is a burnout on the launch pad. Yeah, it really was. And it's, it, what's frustrating to me about this is I, I heard Berkey's CEO, and one of its founders, Nathan, I think his name was, speak several times, once at a press event at GE headquarters. And he talked pretty candidly about his biggest concern was growing, was kind of growing too fast, was being in a space where suddenly they they had responsibility as a product owner. Like they were, they were managing products that made your home safe or made things work in your home. And the, the responsibility that that gave them as a company. And, and ultimately it <laughs> proved to be something that they just really couldn't manage. Unfortunately, it's, it's sad. It's frustrating. And as a result, they ended up, selling off wink they went bankrupt then to uh well the maker of the wink hub itself flextronics uh, or the flex as the parent company is known yeah and i i'm sure part of that deal was you know in the bankruptcy they probably owed flex a ton of money related to (laughs) wink right and so it was sort of a cash exchanging from one hand to another you know, such that Flex had an interest in keeping it alive to get their money back or some of their money back. Like, I'm sure that was a part of the equation in in how this shook out. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Now, you know, we just painted this really weird, (laughs) quirky picture of this situation. But to be fair, despite the stumbles, despite the the, uh, missteps and the weird launch and everything, it was a pretty cool product and somewhat leading and revolutionary for its time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the hub itself um, supported a, a couple different radios. It had Zigbee, Z-Wave, uh, ClearConnect, and, uh, and Wi-Fi. Uh, it was a Wi-Fi hub. It didn't require Ethernet. And uh, it had some unique kind of products it supported. So MyQ, Pella, Lutron, Connected Bulb, Remote, uh, and Kitty. So there was some interesting stuff you could do with it along the way. And in many of these cases, these were exclusive. So for example, I don't, I know that it technically could have supported other hubs, but I'm not aware that the Lutron Connected Bulb Remote worked with any other hub except for Wink. Wink had programming capability in their app to allow you to not only pair that with multiple things, which is one of the reasons that you would potentially want to use it with a hub instead of just connecting it directly to bulbs, but it also let you connect any button on that remote to anything that it could do. So you could turn this little uh, Zigbee remote into a controller for any scene that you had set up 
in Wink, which was incredibly useful and cool. And anyone who remembers this short-lived product might also remember that it was built on the Pico form factor. So it's nice hardware, great battery life, generally good uh, a good product. The, the Pella thing was interesting because I think Pella only partnered with one other manufacturer in terms of control, and, and this allowed you to do stuff like see the status of your windows and door locks and lock them and maybe uh, control in interior shades that were built into the windows themselves. I mean, a, a whole lot of really cool stuff. No other hub can work with MyQ. It, no other hub hub. Uh, you you can use other services with MyQ for sure, like you get up to your security system, things like that. But this was the only public hub that let you work. And Kitta sort of does have integrations with other services, but it was built right in there. So another nice capability of this ecosystem. So a little bit about kind of where where things went wrong. Um, they want they launched Relay, which was an overpriced Android phone as a wall switch, which eventually got dropped to ninety nine dollars. What did it start as? I think it was over two hundred. I think it was like two twenty nine or something like that. And it was literally a two gang plate with an Android screen on on it that was tilted out. So in addition to it already being a little bit weird and maybe getting some resistance at home about putting it on your wall, now it also has this thing that's like pushing out from the plate. It was a cool idea. It basically turned Wink into a wall controller. It also had an intercom built in and two switches built onto the other side of this two-gang thing that could control the two loads that was behind this. Kind of like an early version of brilliant, um, brilliant or um, that other one, Oro. Or Oro. That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Oro, much much better solution than this, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it may be just kind of a case where they were a little bit ahead of their times, and um, some of these overpriced products just kind of. Fueled the downward spiral. I I think the other challenge was, and I don't know if Flex itself was doing the industrial design on these things, but the industrial design was lacking. There wasn't anything particularly appealing or even consistent between these products from Wink, except that they were all stark white. Yeah. Um, So then 2015... The, the first big uh-oh, they bricked all of their hubs with a uh, an update that went out that failed to renew a hardware certificate. Yeah, this one, this one just killed me and, and, and made me really angry at the time because you're you're a brand new company. You're one year on the market at this point, basically. They send out an update. But luckily, some people managed to block and not take. They they didn't do the update, so it didn't. Uh, they were able to get another update onto their onto their hub without having to without having to go through complete somersaults. But they ended up having to basically recall and send out new hubs for so many people. Why? Because they pushed an update without 
recognizing that their hardware certificate was going to expire. And once it got out there, it was too late. The hardware certificate expired, and now nothing could access that device anymore. I will say um, they probably saved a lot of the rest of the industry from making this mistake in the future. (laughs) It served as a great example and a reminder of why this stuff is really important and why you have to take this absolutely seriously. I mean, in the software business, maybe I'm a weird animal, but I literally set reminders on my calendar for like 11 months out or a month before whenever the certificate is going to expire. If I have a certificate that I know I have to follow up on. I do this for my clients even because I'm worried that they won't keep track of it. Yeah, it's very important, but um, yeah, this is, this was a good example. Um, So after that, they launched the wink Two hub, which added an ethernet option. If I mean, if your first one's broken, why not go to this company to buy another one? Yeah. Why not? And I'm sure a lot of people did. And this is where it starts to get really weird. Uh, so in 2017, they sold to IM Plus, which is Will I Am's company, hardware company. That was always very odd. You know, he once tried to do Apple Watch before Apple did, and all kinds of weird devices. The dazzled um, ear pods and stuff like that. Yeah. So it was that sale was less than $60 million. So, you know, by comparison, uh, Revolve, which was another hub that sold to Google, sold for around $200 million. You know, we now know that was more about buying the team mm-hmm. than it was about buying the hardware. Yep. Um, but yeah. But even uh, that was considered a bit of a failed exit, right? Like, this is pretty obvious, I think to me that that flex decided okay we don't want to be in this business we're good at what we do we don't need this albatross we'll sell it to somebody that might be interested yeah i would guess maybe somebody at flex had a good relationship with i am and said hey will do you want this (laughs) that sure that's probably the best explanation that i've heard for why this happened because i certainly have no explanation whatsoever i don't know So, yeah, then 2018, basically nothing happened. Barely any new device support added. Same old app. Uh, 2019, people started saying, hey, I'm calling for support. Uh, Nobody's answering. Uh, You know, there was kind of rumors of uh, things going on. Uh, Employees not getting paid. Maybe the lease was up on the building, you know. Some, some sketchiness. Yeah, yeah. There was one story about people being locked out of their office. Like, they couldn't get into the office. The employees didn't realize they couldn't get into the office. By the way, it's worth mentioning, these were the employees who supposedly weren't getting paid, and they were trying to go into the office. I mean, it must be very loyal employees if they'll show up without getting paid. Yeah. But I'm sure they felt like, you know, maybe there's just a hiccup going on and this is going to get sorted out. But uh, yeah. And we never really heard much more after that about 
what was going on. I don't remember any follow-up or any explanation or anything like that. It, they they did suddenly start like dribbling out stuff on their blog that they were adding you know adding support for this three-year-old device now and adding support for this variant of a product that they already supported really insignificant stuff that made you wonder is it really just like one guy sitting next to a desk lamp with his laptop in the basement (laughs) yeah i mean probably uh it's probably a pretty small team uh I'm sure uh, some some LinkedIn work you could probably figure it out. Yeah, but. probably. I mean, it what what's interesting though is that, you know, that's the state of things. There's been no improvement for years now. Silence, rumors of all of this crazy stuff going on. And when's the first time we actually hear any real news from them? Last year in spring. And they they made this pretty poor announcement uh, with very little time uh, to do anything about it that they were moving over to a paid subscription plan. Everybody freaked out. (laughs) Understandably. They immediately immediately backpedaled (laughs) and then kind of switched over to that. And didn't it it ended up at like a pay what you want sort of thing? I I honestly, if I remember correctly... I think they said, okay, it's going to be five bucks a month or five ninety nine or whatever it was that they had announced. And it's going to start in two weeks or something crazy like that. And everybody right. freaked out and they're like, what? That doesn't give us time to like, yes. okay, so all right, fine, fine, fine. We'll push it out a week. What? That doesn't give us time. But all right, fine, fine, fine. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll turn it on and, but you don't have to pay us yet. Wait, what? So they switched over to this model, but they didn't require that people pay them. They they wanted to see how many people would pay them if they moved to this subscription model. Okay. And and then I guess based on their successful reporting of their experiment, enough people paid them that they decided to go forward with this. So they switched over to the paid subscription model. But then didn't actually charge anybody for a couple more weeks. It was, it was insane. It was just so poorly executed and communicated. It just kind of exuded the suspicion that everybody had that this is just a really poorly managed business. Yeah. So then, uh, last fall, uh, we had an outage of almost a full weekend and a uh, few responses to support requests, but you know, not, not a lot of good feelings about this. Right, you're paying now. And, Remember that you're, you're yeah. paying for this right now. Right. And when, when, when you're paying for it, you know, I guess people have some expectation for hardware they pay for, but now, now you've raised the expectation because now you're paying monthly, which comes with it a, at even higher expectation that your service should work and be reliable. Right. Yep. And they finally came back from that and, and apologized for it and you know said that they were making all kinds of changes and following on to make sure 
stuff like this wouldn't happen again. Oh, by the way, uh, the blog the blog posts that accompanied all of that messaging they don't exist anymore. Hmm. Okay. Well, now fast forward to uh, last week as we're recording this in early February. Services were out for over a week. Nuts. Nine to ten days of no online services. Your local stuff, anything that you had locally would still work. You could connect to your devices on that were controlled through the Zigbee and Z-Wave connection. They were locally controlled. You could manage them that way. Anything that controlled through the cloud, anything that required their cloud services, not available. For over friggin' week. Is it officially back now? They say that it is back and that servers are now able to connect to the API. Or sorry, that the, the hubs are now able to connect. I am not currently in the proximity of my Wink Hub. I also did not subscribe. So I don't know if I would even have a way of testing this. But, I mean, I kind of didn't care anymore before this. I, I really have no interest in trying now. Fine, they say it's working again. That's great. They're going to be working hard to make sure that this never happens again. Again. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of one of those first time, you know, shame on you. Second time. Shame on me for believing you and uh, and thinking that this is going to be reliable. Yeah. So where do you, where do you think this is going from here? Well, I think I kind of laid the groundwork for this in our end of year special. The other Tech FM guys, my prediction for this year is that Wink does not make it through the year, and I think they just accelerated that timeline a little bit. I don't see yeah. how they get out of this. I really, really don't. There's too much risk and liability. If anybody has any money in this, I would be demanding it. If, if I am plus is still in any way pulling the strings on this, I, I don't see why they wouldn't just call it now, shut it down, give customers a couple months notice. And by the way, that's how you do it. Don't say we're shutting down next week. You give your customers a couple months notice so that they can make some plans and figure out where they're going to go and what they're going to do. But I I just don't see how you continue to operate in this way and retain any sort of customer goodwill equity. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, like you said, the writing's on the wall here. And, you know, if if you're a listener and you have one of these still in your house and you depend on this anyway, I think it's time to really seriously start thinking about removing this from your solutions. Unless you have a really, really good reason not to. But if you have a really, really good reason, probably even more reason to find another way. Because this is not going to be around for long. Yeah, I mean, for example, I feel for anyone who maybe went with this solution because they have Pella Windows. They bought into the Pella, I think it was called iSync or something like that. 
but the the uh, pellet control mechanism that only worked with this and one not an integrator solution but i think it was a provider solution something like an adt sorts of things i just don't i don't see how how those people have an alternative right now and is that a lost investment which would just suck completely right yeah that i think you hit on a good one that's probably the one that you know if you invested in this with your windows like you're not going to replace your windows to to get this back so are you just going to lose all that functionality i don't know then then maybe you ride it out and hang on as long as you can but yeah that that stinks for anything where they're really uh, you've you're in for a lot of money and uh it's hard to get out but for anything where you're not you know you have some alternatives or uh or you can replace for a reasonable cost um i think it's time to do that which is good because that's what we're going to talk about in the second half of the show yeah it is so let's take a quick break now in the event that we have some sponsors and then we'll be back and we'll talk about some wink alternatives where you can look next all right, so we just spent the last half hour kind of running through the backstory and the state of Wink, as it were. So now what I want to talk about is, let's think about where you should be looking if you're in the situation where you use Wink and you either want to get off or you anticipate that you might need to get off at some point. I think the first question that I would ask is do you have Z-Wave or Zigbee devices that you need to control? In other words, something that does indeed need a traditional, at an air quote, hub. A hub as the way that we thought it in the past. Big old box of radios. And if you do, there are alternatives, but not a lot. There used to be a ton of these things. Now, yeah. not so much anymore. Right now, it's in the consumer space, in the in the retail space. There's one. There's smart things. You can go and buy smart things for seventy bucks. I expect. Well, in fact, we know we're going to see an updated version of a smart things hub in some form. It will be created by another manufacturer. It's not it's not being built by Samsung anymore. But seventy bucks gets you all in with a device that can connect to Z Wave, Zigbee, some Bluetooth, I believe, Wi Fi. I don't think it has a Lutron radio in it, but it can connect to Lutron stuff. As far as I'm aware. SmartThings probably connects to more third-party devices and services than any other physical hub device available to Yeah. Well, and given that it's Samsung and how deep they've invested in this, they've put the hub into all kinds of their other devices, like this is going to be around for a long time and it's going to be well-supported like 
I think I think if I was coming off of wink trauma, you know, <laughs> this this may be one of the things I'm looking for the most is because I want something that if I'm going to go through the pain of doing this all over again, I want to make sure I'm not doing this again every couple of years. Yeah. Now, one thing that you may hear rumblings of is that SmartThings recently changed the platform that developers use to provide capabilities through SmartThings for their products. So we're in this really weird period right now where the the old way of connecting to a third-party product, let's think of it as a driver, doesn't work anymore. And now product manufacturers and their developers have to provide new ways, new scripts, and new code to make all that work. Many of the big ones already have. So if you have a major brand that used to work with smart things, in all likelihood, this has already been taken care of. Where this is hurting is with the smaller scale developers and the smaller houses that provide more boutique products. For example, I might imagine if you had drivers for smart things for your products, this might not be as high a priority for you as ensuring that you're staying up to date with the latest specs for Amazon, for Google, and for Apple. Good news, we never did it. So <laughs> But I would say I would I would say it's it's probably the top on our list next. So, you know, I guess, you know, the place where uh, you know, waiting benefited us because it would have it would have sucked to have to do it twice. Um, so, yeah. you know, sometimes putting things off pays off. Also, if you're a new Samsung TV owner or own a new Samsung connected appliance, you're already using smart things because Samsung is forcing you to. Samsung has moved all of the configuration and control of its connected products into the smart things app ecosystem. I think it makes sense. Um, you know, it it gives those devices capabilities and it also, you know, integrates smart things more deeply. Right. And back to my first point, also why these things are going to keep working for a long time. Yep. Yep. I would agree. Now, next popular, not available in stores necessarily. I don't know that that's unilaterally true. You might find it in some electronic hobby shops to the extent that those still exist, but Hubitat. Hubitat is a another smaller vendor making a hub available that also operates Z-Wave and Zigbee. The benefit of Hubitat is that it's all local. So if you want to be entirely secure without any cloud connection to your smart home, Everything can be controlled locally without a cloud connection. Now, if you do that, obviously, that means you yourself may forego access to this stuff outside your home, but they do have the ability for you to tunnel into it. They do also offer the ability to connect to cloud services that use the cloud if you want to, but you don't have to. But they are prioritizing connectivity to third-party services and devices to the extent possible through the local network. And they're even doing that with Lutron Caseta. Now that only works with Lutron Caseta Pro 
because Pro is the one that's IP addressable. But if you have a Lutron Caseta Pro bridge, then Hubitat can control your Lutron stuff and even do that thing that I love, which is program Pico buttons to do any damn thing you want them to do using Hubitat. And it's all local without going through an API or the cloud. Pretty slick. Yeah, I, I've never played with this myself, but to me, this seems like more of like a pro enthusiast or like this is something that your general consumer is not going to use. It's more like somebody who knows their way around programming and hardware and like wants something with some more power and where they can get in and, and do some more advanced stuff. Yes, I would agree with that. Uh, I've had folks from Hubitat on Homon. You may have heard uh, uh, Kevin's thoughts about this on the IoT podcast. He pretty much said the exact same thing that you said. This requires a bit more of uh, a, a technical skill set and comfort to set up and configure and tinker with. And and this is my biggest beef with it. The experience is not great. It's web-based. They don't have a true app. And I love stuff that's web-based, but it's it's web-based stuff that looks like it was designed by developers. And I know that they're working on that, but that's always that that usually results in a scenario where the experience is not something that you would necessarily put in front of everyone. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, like we mentioned, they both offer advanced capabilities. You can program stuff yourself for both of these solutions if you wanted to. And I think the determination between using one or the other is going to be based or needs to be based on who is going to use it and how technically competent and comfortable are they. All right, let's move on to other things. If Let's say that you don't have Z-Wave or Zigbee products. So it's really just a matter of the other products that you have in your home. Take a look at what those might be. Probably one of the most popular connected products is Philips Hue. We have good news for you. Philips Hue works with pretty much anything. I love that about that. Yeah, I think all all the things we're going to talk about here, like this is kind of my philosophy on most of the things I buy. Like because things are constantly shifting in this space and we'll get into this more later but you know this is the way that you um you know hedge your hedge your bets is by buying things like hue that works with a lot of different ecosystems it, it gives you flexibility over time yeah absolutely similarly lutron caseta lutron caseta came on the market was something of its own island, just like you, has its own bridge. It has its own bridge because these products use a, a, a protocol that is not IP-based. Philips Hue is based on Zigbee. Lutron Caseta is based on their own proprietary ClearConnect, which is very, very good, very fast, very reliable. But the sacrifice is you have a bridge. Then you need to connect that bridge to something. Lutron Caseta has interfaces and an API that are accessed by, again, nearly everything. Works with Google, Amazon stuff, works with Apple's ecosystem, 
works with third-party solutions. Even even my Harmony remote control can control Lutron Caseta blinds. So it's impressive, kind of the the work that they've done to tie into a bunch of things. And with that, I want to use that as an opportunity to go down to my next item, which is Ring. Let's say you have Ring products. The reason I mention Ring now is that Ring and Caseta just announced a thing where your products can work together. Your doorbell rings and you can have lights come on or something along those lines. That's a pretty slick system and something that they've been working to make directly available with no other like hub or or ecosystem in the mix. They just control they can work together directly Hmm. i hadn't heard about that that sounds interesting i have both those things in my house yeah i'll have to play around yeah exactly exactly it 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 almost harkens back to the works with nest days which we'll talk about in a second so ring now is owned by amazon and not surprisingly they are most compatible with amazon's ecosystem so if you have the lady in a can and you talk to her and you want stuff to go on or off or you want to query things, that works best with those devices. Ring doorbell rings and you have one of the Echo shows, you're going to see who's at your front door, stuff like that. You can also use their app just as a means of controlling all of this if you wanted to. And That may be a good option for a lot of things. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Now, the other thing that's interesting about Ring is that Ring's security system is a little bit of a Trojan horse because it, too, is a big box of radios. It's actually a little box, but it's a box of radios. It comes packed with, in addition to the stuff that it's controlling of its own, which I believe are uh, proprietary, it is connecting with Z-Wave devices, and there are other radios in there as well that it will, at some point, presumably use. And they work with a variety of different locks and and other Z-Wave devices, turning more and more of those capabilities on. They are not yet at the point where you can just take any Z-Wave or Z-Wave Pro device and automatically make it work with ring as your hub that's not how they're positioning this yeah it looks like it you have to go through like a works with ring uh, program yeah to do that and most of the stuff that's in there looks there's a first alert uh smoke alarm a lot of ge stuff and then a lot of leviton stuff and a few other kind of offshoots but yeah, not everything is just going to work there. That's correct. That's correct. They're going for general consumer availability on Z-Wave products. And so that's yeah, what those the- brands are about. That's what you find at your big box store if you're looking for a Z-Wave switch or lamp module or something like that. Yeah, for me, um, Ring using Z-Wave seemed more about that's what they wanted to use and less about Z-Wave as a protocol or like providing extensive, you know, external device support. It was just more like, this is what we're going to use. This is the best thing for our stuff. But it wasn't about being a broad ecosystem. Yeah, 
I would hold that thought because I think okay. we're going to see more there. I, I, I okay. believe we will see more there. And like I said, there are more radios in that box that aren't yet turned on. And again, if you remember the progeny of Ring and some of the staff at Ring, many of them came from, why am I blanking on the name? Zonoff. And Zonoff's, yeah. Zonoff was behind the Staples Hub. And Zonoff was working with other providers to create hubs that had lots of radios in them to be able to tie lots of stuff together. The question is, how much of that does Amazon care about? That's, that's I think, the, the mitigating factor that we don't know about it. True. I mentioned works with Nest. Well, very little works with Nest anymore. Nest <laughs> works pretty much with Google's stuff and a handful of select products. Now, presumably Google is working to make Nest stuff more compatible and integratable with other third-party products and solutions, but they are taking their time doing that because they they want to ensure that they provide consumers with a safe, secure, and private means of doing that. And that, you know, like it or not, that's the approach that they're taking it does mean that your integration capabilities with Nest products are going to be a little bit more limited. Yep. And then if you have MyQ or or uh, anything in that brand, the, the MyQ stuff works with IFTTT. It works if with... If you pay for it. If you pay for it. It works with Google Home, and it works with Amazon Key. It does not work with the lady in the can. It does not work with an Echo. So you need to look very carefully at how you might want to use MyQ, or even if you might want to use MyQ. MyQ was one of the things that just directly connected with Wink. You didn't even have to subscribe to their ridiculous uh, dollar a month per connection service that you have to sign up for that they now don't charge anything for it just worked and it was really nice looks like they do integrate with google assistant now real-time follow-up yes as part of their sign up to integrate with this platform and we're going to charge you a dollar per platform one day but we're not charging you anymore right now yeah, I think that whole thing was a mess from my <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it's it sent a lot of people looking for other solutions. And the right. the interesting thing is there's there's more stuff kind of growing in that space. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. Now we just mentioned a handful of big name brands. We mentioned these because these are probably among the most popular products that you can buy on the shelf at stores, and so many people have these products. You may also have a bunch of other products, either Z-Wave or, or in all likelihood, more likely, their Wi-Fi base. Because nowadays, when you buy products from smaller manufacturers or from overseas manufacturers, everyone's touting that they're going to work with your voice assistants. So they're going typically for Wi-Fi connection solutions. And if that's the case, you're probably in better shape 
than many of the people who are depending on some of these big brands and are trying to figure out how to connect all that stuff. Because it could be that you don't even really need a new hub. If you have an assistant or you're willing to consider adopting an assistant ecosystem like Amazon's or Google's home or HomeKit, these systems already integrate with many of the products that are available out there. Obviously, HomeKit less than the others, but Amazon and Google Home probably connect to like a multiple of all of the different brands that both SmartThings and Wink combined would be able to integrate with. Right. So generally, you, you, your, your decision to not buy big brand may have worked to your advantage in this case, if, if that's how you've been, if that's the type of product that you've had. Now, I wonder, though, how many of those products actually worked with Wink? So are, are, there, are you in that situation if you're coming off of Wink? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Of these, I think which one you choose is probably... I, I think you need to drive that first off of what type of mobile devices you use. If you're an Android house, you should be going with Google. If you're a, an Apple or iOS house, I think you have a lot more flexibility. You could go with probably in this order, HomeKit, then Amazon, then Google, depending on what types of devices you have and which one of those offers the support that you need. Yeah, the other thing I'll, I'll say too is like, also, what do you want to do? And what kinds of integrations do you want to do? What kind of rules, scenes, all those kinds of things? I mean, we could probably do a whole show just talking about that and how you decide, but... I would probably use the same ranking if yeah. I were to say that that were the criteria, right? HomeKit's, HomeKit's rules engine, or even though it's not fully exposed in the Home app, the capability that it allows third parties to expose, to create rules and dependencies and all of this automation and stuff depending on who's home and whether the last person left or the first person. or I mean, the stuff that it can do, I think, far exceeds anything that Amazon's Assistant or Google's home can do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we're... I'm in a weird place right now for our stuff that... Like some of my Amazon stuff broke. Uh, probably the answer a year ago or last time we did our update on our house, I probably said, you know, we're mostly an Amazon house. Now, as Amazon things have broken and I haven't had the time to go back and fix them, I, I sort of have a foot in each camp of Amazon and HomeKit, and mm-hmm. I'm leaning more HomeKit, um, you know, slowly more and more. Uh, Little uh, SiriPod minis keep showing up around my house. Oh, really? I think we're up to five now. Oh, whoa. And they have propagated quickly. I know. They're multiplying. Um, and, yeah. So, you know, I think that, I don't know. I, I haven't done a lot of work in that space yet either. But um, if I were starting over, I would probably lean more heavily in that direction. It's not to say that Amazon's 
ecosystem isn't powerful. It's incredibly powerful. There's a lot that you can do there. And you can tie it to other capabilities that the assistants have. Like, the, for example, you could talk to your speaker and have that trigger a scene and uh, provide you with a, a tailored response for the time of day and give you an update on the weather forecast or something like that. They've done a really nice job of tying all that stuff together. And then yeah. least capable in terms of that customer-driven automation opportunity is Google Home. Google Home still does not allow you to trigger a scene or a routine on anything but time and a voice command. To making it available with a couple of vendors and with their own products, but they're not there yet. Yeah, yeah. And with uh, you know some of these other things too, um, to mitigate some of these, I think also plays into the into uh, the decision too. And I think something that tilted in HomeKit in in favor for me was when I put HomeBridge into the mix. Yep. So Absolutely. when you can sweep up some other things that you don't have integrations with, that changes the equation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, and if you're willing to do that, right? If yeah. you're willing to either buy a device that runs HomeKit for you or set it up on high, which two years ago I would have laughed in your face and said, no way I'm doing that, or have a like a NAS that has the ability to run it. That takes a little bit of technical know-how that I might imagine that consumers who bought a Wink probably don't want to deal with. Yeah, you can go back and listen to our episode where we talk about hoobs and uh, all about Homebridge, so we don't have to retread that one. Yeah, but that's a really good option. I hadn't yeah. I hadn't really thought about that. Now, the other thing that you might want to ask yourself is, do you even really need a, a, a physical device in your home to control this stuff? Could you use just a third-party service? And there are many out there. The most well-known are probably IFT and Unomi. IFT, of course, has been around for years and years and years, connects with many different things. It's limited in what it can do unless you use like a scripting language to create more complicated uh, automations or take advantage of very specific automations that other people have created. So it, it may not be as customer friendly there. You know me, which we've spoken about recently because it was recently purchased by uh, a legion. You know me is interesting because they have an app that connects with maybe about two dozen, two and a half dozen of the major brands of different products and allows them to work well together. Looking through this list, the thing that it can't control is ring and nest anymore used to be able to do nest can't do nest anymore because you know works with nest doesn't work but that might be an option too and you may be able to work with a product like that and 
it uses basically cloud services to automate stuff and you have an app. Yeah. Although I would say, given that they were just acquired, I would be less inclined on that one until we really know that it's sticking around in that capability. I'm trying more in my life to say yes and, but I don't know how to end that one. So I'm going to say yes, but there is no cost associated with it. True. And if you just have a couple things that you want to be able to connect to and you don't want to have to invest in new hardware, you just want to be able to control them from one place or maybe have some interrelated scenes and automations, it would be a quick and easy way to set that up. Just go into it knowing that we don't necessarily know what their future looks like at this point. True. Now, you mentioned Homebridge, and I think that that's kind of an opening to a whole bunch more than we can possibly account for here, but a whole bunch of other types of alternatives. And those are for the the real tinkerers. Those are for the, the folks who are who don't blink at the idea of having to set up a service that runs on a home computer somewhere. Or that, of course, they have a couple computers in the basement that run as servers for the home. I am kind of describing myself. But so these types of products give you a lot of flexibility, but it's going to take a lot more work to get stuff set up. We talked about Homebridge. Homebridge is phenomenal. I'm really excited about what you can do with Homebridge. Again, we don't know how long it's going to work because Apple may not want to, but we don't have to revisit that. Anyway, Homebridge is an option. Home Assistant is another option that allows you to control all kinds of stuff. It is also supported by a community of developers that I believe provide provide drivers through open source. So there's a ton of support for devices out there as well. And what I love about Home Assistant is that a, a set of these developers have taken it upon themselves specifically to address the user experience portion of home control. And so there are a couple really good front ends to Home Assistant to make Home Assistant feel and operate like a top professionally installed system. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then on the lower end of that scale, but not necessarily in terms of price, are things like HomeSeer. You can buy a, a pre-built HomeSeer server box, or you can install it on a your own. It connects with a whole bunch of stuff. Terrible user experience, um, but it is really powerful because it can connect a whole bunch of things, including Instion, and you know you have to have the bridges for all those things, but... Z-Wave, you have Instion, you have all these other newer ecosystems, even IFTTT, it can connect with that. And another solution, if you're, again, heavy on Z-Wave and Instion might be Indigo Demotics. It's something that runs on a Mac specifically. That's one of the reasons that I brought that up, because it might be that you have an old Mac sitting around and you don't know what to do with it. Something you just said also, I guess, triggered something in my mind that uh, 
our, our friends at Home Tech FM would be mad at us if we didn't mention as an option. If you have money to throw at this problem, you could also hire a professional and look at some of the high-end systems, too, uh, more in the Cedia space. You know, that certainly might be an option for some of this. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you don't have a ton of money, and for some reason, you trust your cable infrastructure provider with something like this, many of them also offer services that allow you to connect Z-Wave products and some of these newer products. So, you know, while some of those have gotten out of it, there are still a few providers left that are offering smart home service as one of the things that they offer. You know, they kind of claim that they just, you don't have to worry about it. They just, they take the trouble out of it. Um, I don't know that I would want to give more. No, let me say that differently. I don't want to give any more money to my provider. And I don't have a very good opinion of those types of offerings, but I know that they're out there. Same. So yeah, the, the last approach that I wanted to bring up, which was it, if you don't have an urgent need to replace these things, like if you can get by or maybe use some of what we mentioned above as like a patchwork solution, I'm kind of in the team of wait and see how things shake out in the coming year or two. You know, we still don't know what chip is going to look like and what is that going to bring to this? Mm. What's going to be thrown into the mix? Like, uh, you know, I uh, I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. I But remember, I'm predicting we're not going to get through the year. So we need to know something pretty soon about chip, if that's the case. That's true. That's why I said, like, if you can if you can come up with a Band-Aid solution right now, um, you know, I'd, I would be more in favor of that than kind of redoing everything and kind of going all in on something else that would take you a lot of work um, because things may be changing again in the coming years and you may want to shift again. So if you don't want to have to do all that stuff more than once, you may want to wait. Yep. And and to that, I kind of wonder, you know, it, a little bit, is there a reason why this wink is dying and is this just kind of the old way of doing things and is it is this kind of third-party hub going to be really relevant going forward maybe outside of things like smart things yeah it's hard i know we've talked so many times about hubs and bridges and what technically qualifies as a hub let's say okay we don't need this anymore because we have HomeKit. All right, that's that's a lovely idea. Technically, something's acting as a hub, HomeKit. It just isn't obvious that you're going out and buying a hub. It's just a part of the other things that you have in your home that help make everything work together. I think that's a good idea. I think that's an interesting idea. I, again, referencing Kevin, Kevin Tovel has said a couple of times on the IoT podcast that He'd like to see stuff like this built into maybe your router. I'm not convinced that's the best way to go about this because I don't think people replace their router often enough. And, oh, also, by the way, the interfaces for routers are usually miserable. So I don't really want them creating the experience for controlling my home 
or having to manage the automation behind my home. But I do think that we are going to see the the obvious integration or use of a hub as we've come to think of it in the traditional way change or go away. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, this uh this kind of highlights a problem of putting a central piece of technology at, at the center of your integrations. And so, you know, knowing that, you know, sort of what we said earlier, using these products that give you a lot of options going forward um, is a much more flexible way to do things and something where you're not going to be, you know, have your feet kicked out from under you like uh, people who are dependent on Wink are, are probably feeling like. Meaning as you invest in additional devices, be right. focusing on those that are going to work with pretty much anything. Yeah. Yeah, because I think even as like chip and all those things shake out, I would think that all those major devices are going to have a story or a way to move those things forward um, into the next era. Um, whereas, you know, some of those other kinds of devices aren't going to make it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. All right. Well, I hope we've given everybody a, a little bit to think about. If they're worried about Wink or they're thinking that they want to make a change as a result of the recent news with Wink, I don't. I mean, I know I joke about this and I, and I, um, kind of am, am very flippant and, and cynical about it, but I don't get any joy out of, saying that Wink is a bad company. I, I think it is, you know, we talked about people who went to work despite the fact that they weren't getting paid and they couldn't get into work. I think Wink is a, a, a collection of people and many of them really love what they do and want to do well by their customers. Unfortunately, I don't feel like they've had the management team and the support of their investors to do that well. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, we don't want to see anybody fail in this space, and we don't want to see anything come to an end. Um, but I think part of part of what we're saying is when we do see the writing on the wall, then it's time to kind of take things as, as they are and, and find a solution going forward. All right. Well, we don't have a question uh, from any listeners, but if you do want to send us a question, you can do that on Twitter. Um, using the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow. Um, send us a question, and we'll include it on our next episode. All right. So where can people find you, Adam, if they want to hear more from you after they listen to this show? Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at AdamJustice and find everything my company's up to at ConnectSense.com. How about you, Richard? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Gunther. It's a lot less political these days. We're calm now. <laughs> and uh, you can also find me at the digitalmediazone.com, where I host my other show, Home On. And of course, this show, the Smart Home Show, is part of technology.fm, which is a collection of tech-focused podcasts that includes Home Tech FM, The Food Tech Show, and Home On. I want to give a shout-out to Jason Griffin, one of the hosts of Home Tech FM, who recently announced that He's going to be stepping back, and I have been listening to them from 
the beginning. When I have come to know them and uh, great guys, I wish Jason all the best. I can't wait to see where Seth takes things going forward. And uh, thank you for all of the years of information that you've been feeding us. Yeah, for sure. Wish wish him nothing but the best. And uh, yeah, we'll be interested to see where that show goes. And you might even see Richard and I pop over there from time to time to be co-hosts. So yeah. All right. I have uh, mentioned before that you can find our show notes on smarthome.fm. Probably need to pay a little bit more attention to that site to get those notes up to date. But that will happen. And in the meantime, you can send us feedback asking me why they're not up to date at feedback at smarthome.fm. You can find us in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and everywhere else that you find podcasts. And do us a favor. If you like the show, leave a rating or review. But more importantly, what really helps grow the show is telling friends so that they too can subscribe. Thanks a lot and have a good day. Thanks for listening.